I was out of daytime flu medicine, so I'm on to nighttime. Cheers. <laughs> if I get a little loopy. Um. <laughs> well, yeah. Won't it blend with all my other messages, all my other appearances, of course. Charles Dickens' story called A Christmas Carol, right? One of Dickens' most popular books. 175 years later, remake after remake has still utilized the idea of visiting angelic messengers, uh, assisting humanity, teaching humanity life's lessons. He was uh, taken back. His inspiration for writing this story he was taken back by the poverty in large areas of London and the crimes that were committed by children because of hunger. And when you're when you're really hungry and desperate, you know, um, there's a few shows that when I watch them, they kind of inspire me again uh, to not, you know, uh, there's one a Cinderella story where it's about a boxer and he's. He's so hungry, and his kids are hungry, and then him not eating, and to the point where he's pretending he had he had a steak in his dream, he says. So, so he wanted to convince his kids to go ahead and eat his little portion of bologna they were frying or something, you know, kind of capture that thankfulness. Uh, I've never been really hungry at that point of desperation, but Dickens wanted to inspire generosity because he saw a lot of kids that were in a lot of trouble, and kind of understandably, somebody who's so hungry that they would steal food, you know, it puts them in a little bit different category of criminal, in my mind, than uh, someone else. I read through a list of a hundred variations of the remake of this story. Each, each generation, especially over the last hundred years, seems to retell the story in a modern setting with great theater and cinematography and even Muppets and claymation animation, drama, uh, comedy. More twists will probably come out again this year of A Christmas Carol to inspire generosity and kindness to others around you. Um, Dickens said this, and I have no idea his accent or what kind of accent will come out of my mouth. <laughs> I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor by themselves with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly. Your faithful servant and friend, Charles Dickens, December 1843. Yeah. As we continue this study of the people of God through the book of Acts, <clears throat> we'll read about another visiting angel. Not to tour Peter through his past, present, or future events to teach him some lesson of generosity to all humanity, but to display to the world that the supernatural works of God and his agenda supersede every evil intention of man. This visiting angel is on a rescue mission. Acts chapter 12, we left off uh, uh, two weeks ago. Last week was Steve Hayes, our friend, 
and uh, did a fabulous job. I love Steve-O. Did an awesome job. And I have a maybe a massive sneeze coming up. Uh, ma'am, do you have a tissue ready for me there, ma'am? Okay, thank you. <coughs> thank you, young lady. Random stranger. <coughs> Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Only the second martyr here in the New Testament. We talked about Stephen back in Acts 5, 6, and 7. This is James, but not the other James, also the half-brother of Jesus, But uh, because we'll hear him mentioned again. When he saw that this met the approval of the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. It's ironic that during the time the Jews should be celebrating their salvation and the great Passover from Egypt, that they want to kill the messenger who is talking about their real deliverance and their ultimate salvation. And can I just say that throughout the book of Acts, there are these um, such dynamic shifts back and forth that talk about the turmoil that's expressed in Acts. Uh, And uh, it's always kind of like, but there are these seasons of peace. There are these times when they experience the favor of men. And then the next moment, somebody's getting executed. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's back and forth and it's pretty shifty. It's unpredictable, like uh, an active volcano that seems, seems quiet and seems, seems at rest and there's moments of peace and then <laughs> there's an eruption again. Great miracles in favor of the people, and then suddenly arrests and executions. I feel like the volatility of humanity is all over, obviously, the Bible and here in the book of Acts. Verse 4. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads or four soldiers each. Herod uh, of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Have you seen those movies when there's some diabolical criminal who's dangerous and has escaped multiple times? And so they put him in chains around his, you know, behind his back, so to speak, hooked to the chains at his feet and behind bars and guarded here. There's such concern about Peter that not only is he uh, arrested and chained and put behind bars, but treated as if he's a most dangerous criminal, four squads of four. So 16 guards, enough that they could, you know, 24-7 keep an eye on this guy. So make sure that there'll be no escape and that if there was Peter was to get out, that there would be some consequences for those that are in charge of his uh, security. Verse 6, the night before Herod was about to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. 
wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel, uh, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And Peter came to himself, (laughs) came to himself like, whoa. (laughs) Uh, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen to me. He knows what has happened to James, that he's been executed. He knows he's been arrested. He knows Herod plans to do the same thing because it's made the religious institution and those religious leaders happy that they've arrested Peter and that they put uh, this James to death. And uh, I know the people want me dead. And I know what the I know what happened to James. Verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter, Peter's is at the door. And they said, you're out of your mind. What are you drinking? They told her. She, she kept insisting that it was so, and they said, It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Tell James kind of gives you a hint there's another James because the other James had already been martyred. Will you stand with me? When you have a couple angels dispatched to keep an eye on you, or whether the Holy Spirit does that and manifests once in a while to guide, to rescue, to rebuke you, uh, how the whole angelic forces of God work and whether they interweave with our individual lives here in Sioux Falls, I don't know. I do know that if God wants to rescue you for his greater purposes, but with the help of angelic armies, so to speak, he can and he will if it aligns with his perfect will. But if God is working a greater wonder beyond human understanding that appears to look like a abandonment, like you are not rescued in your time of need, so be it. Lord, will you give us the grace to trust you when there's no rescue, when we feel like we're stuck, when we feel like we're up against a big hurdle, when we feel like other people's lives are turning out, other people's kids are turning out, other people's careers are turning out, and look where we're at. It doesn't look like you're... You're rescuing us from the situation. But would you give us the grace and the trust to understand that your ways are above our ways and you may be working out a greater wonder that we'll find out about later.
Give us that kind of trust in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. We're going to continue worship and giving to the Lord. And God has been faithful to us and <clears throat> ending the year in positive, good financial position, able to help people beyond ourselves. And uh, thankful to the arms that are reaching around the globe of missionaries that we are assisting and helping. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you have provided for us, that you have helped us with promotions. You've helped us with degrees, with graduations. And uh, without you, we could do nothing. We know if, we, if, if uh, anything good has come out of our life, it's because you've enabled us. And thank you, Lord, that you've chosen us to be productive. We don't understand why you've chosen a whole generation of people over there at South Dakota Achieve who maybe seemed uh, seem unable to contribute to society, seem like they're just being taken care of. But, Lord, we want to have your joy in our life. We want to be taking care of people like that. We don't want to overlook anyone. We, we know that uh, without you, uh, we're just a blob, a mass of, of water worth hardly anything. And uh, we thank you that you're working in our lives in and among and through us. Help us to be generous and kind to those that are around us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you have a prayer request. You just want to lay before the Lord in this moment. Father, we know that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. And we just lay before you these concerns for our our lives and those that we love and care about, that we're surrounded by, those we rub shoulders with throughout the week, that we want them to know the hope. We want them to experience the joy. We want them to be able to overcome the hurdles that are before them. We want them to sense more than just uh, a, an emotional surge that will carry them through uh, a few weeks on the calendar uh, over this winter. But uh, we want your steady uh, presence, the, the revelation, the, the unveiling of who Jesus is that, that gives us the hope that uh, far beyond a day, far beyond a moment, far beyond this year for all eternity. Your hope and your goodness would be upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Smile at somebody. Smile at somebody while you're sitting down there. Angels walking the earth. For Peter, they show up, walk him out of the prison cell. Uh, the idea of supernatural beings working alongside in our physical world is you know, pretty easy to accept in fiction. And and I think when it comes to, like, how we live our everyday real life, probably not woven in real heavily in how we think about the things of our day unfolding. If we took all the movies and books and literature and shows about angels and demons and witches and ghosts and immortals and superheroes, you know, it would, it would be a book itself published of just these titles of the paranormal beings of our culture's entertainment world, charm, dominion, fallen, good place, 
Highway to Heaven, Joan of Arcadia, I don't know what that is. Kevin, Probably Saves the World. I just like that title. I don't know what it is, but Lucifer, new TV series. Miracle Workers, Nathan uh, Nathaniel, Out of the Blue, Promised Land, Sha Shadow Hunters, oh, Winging It. I, I had s just this list of un ongoing and ongoing that I, I saw one for every letter of the alphabet. I've really considered that some angels were dispatched to Lance duty, you know, like to me, if there were a couple angels that were detached to my, uh, you know, attached, I should say, to my life, I would I would feel pretty, <laughs> pretty sad for him. Like how that's pretty boring. Like, hey, boys, he's awake. Here he goes. And I'd be like, and the other one would go like, nah, this is a dozer. This is not me. <laughs> you know, okay, he's up. Here it is. No, another 10 minutes. He hit the dozer again, you know. Here, he's up. Now we're ready to go. Here we go, into action. And then, whoosh, back into bed for another 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> I don't know. And be like, oh, he's up. Here we go. Coffee. Work. Home. Sleep. South Dakota. You <laughs> know, it would be like yawn fest for an angel. You know, like, what duty did you get? I'm in South Dakota watching this guy named Lance. They'd be like, oh, what'd you do wrong? You know. <laughs> uh, but if a day in heaven is like a thousand years on earth, my 100 years, which could my biological grandmother lived to two weeks away from 100 years old. She was 99 years old, 11 months and two weeks, and both Joan's grandparents, grandmothers lived uh, 95 and 96 years old, so who knows, Joan and I, we could be around 100 years. So if it, if 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 I was like my life 100 years, it wouldn't be so bad if, if you do the math, if a day on earth is like a thousand years in heaven, my 100 years of life for those four angels attached to Lance duty would probably only feel like two hours, right? You do the math. You'll figure it out. It's a couple hours. And how many have seen an average to boring movie before? You just made it through a movie and you went like, that was okay. You know, like it wasn't the worst, you know. So if you've made it through an average, not too great movie, uh, I, I would think the Life of Lance film uh, would not be a big box office hit, but I would tell those angels, don't worry, it'll be over quickly, you know. And uh, Joan had mentioned to me this week, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Jesus said when he was talking about the lost sheep, uh, in Matthew 18, he said, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's talking about the little kids that have come to him. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. There's not a lot of text when it comes to how these angelic supernatural appearances, you know, to build a, let's just say a doctrine of angels uh, for, for you and I. But when you look through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, Acts 12, Acts 27, there are these angels that are helping in times of trouble, that are acting as uh, agents uh, for judgment. And for Peter, it was a rescue. Peter, it was a, a chains fall off, bars open, angelic creature, you know, escorts him out to the city, down the road. The bigger question, I think, for us is, 
what, how do we process what happens to our life when we're not rescued? When what's our response to no rescue from heaven? Because it's going to be either a testimony that God can produce out of your life or a tragedy. So let me finish this message with two ways uh, difficulties become testimonies and two situations the hardship ends in tragedy. Okay, first of all, the rescue on the surface seems the easy way to give God the glory. How many are pro rescue from heaven? Okay, most of us are going like I would rather be rescued than no rescue. Figure out the life lesson later on, maybe after this world. So we all know the rescue on the surface seems the best way or a more grandiose way to give God major glory because angelic rescue. But when heaven feels like radio silence, testimony is where God gets glory even when we're not rescued. You've heard testimonies of survivors makes for great TV, makes for great movies, right? Even if they're not Christian, like they just made it through very difficult, hard times and they've they're walking in thankfulness. They appreciate something. Uh, There were three survivors on this plane crash that happened last week. I don't know if you heard about the small plane. Uh, Some I, I think there were hunters that were here in South Dakota near Chamberlain hunting and they got 12 of them, um, uh, grandpas, dads, and grandsons, 12 of them, get on a little, a little plane and got cleared to take off, but they didn't make it through the snowstorm and crashed, and three of them survived, but nine, uh, nine casualties, fatalities, husbands, kids, grandkids. And I just thought about, wow, the holidays for those families that are getting together in a, you know, whether it's a Thanksgiving meal or Christmas or a New Year gathering. There's usually something that draws a family together around this kind of calendar. And suddenly dad is not there. Suddenly my son is not there. Suddenly my my husband is not there. They're gathering their families together that have seemingly just been ripped apart at a moment's notice. You need faith and grace to see through those kind of tears. It's usually those of us or those who have made it through who are able to walk in thankfulness looking back that are the illustrations for hope for us, for the rest of us trying to find meaning when when we're not rescued, when it seems like we're left to kind of figure out how God is going to work through this. Joan and I had met a lady named Elsa in Little Falls, Minnesota. She went to our church. We were the youth pastors at the time. Sweet little lady. <clears throat> and I had known her for, I think, a matter of months and interacted with her and chatted with her. And she was a lively, spunky little lady. And it turns out that when I heard her testimony of how she was persecuted in Germany during World War II, that she survived the torture and prejudice and hatred that Elsa was not rescued by angels, like Peter in this Acts chapter 12. She was left for dead and buried alive. That she dug herself to freedom after coming out of unconsciousness. And it wasn't a time of powerful prayer for her. 
she described that survival was on her mind. Breathing was on her mind. Little did she know how God would use her in the reconciliation process afterwards for both victims of abuse and war crime uh, assailants in need of forgiveness. She walked in the thankfulness of God every day and could it have been any worse what she went through? God's sustaining grace. She would bless those around with words of kindness, with words of thankfulness, and echoing how God was there for her. That, to me, is testimony. Trials that ultimately bring glory to God. Testimony. Tragedy. Tragedy. Folding under those pressures, right? It's easy for me to say, like, I would always stand for Christ in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, but I have never been at gunpoint or I have never been arrested and beaten and having my wife and kids in front of me at gunpoint or being tortured. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy from the secure seats that I'm sitting in or the secure place that I'm in to say, well, I would never fold under pressure, but I've never had my family threatened like that. I hope I would stand. I pray that I can endure persecution like a good soldier in Christ. And I guess we're going to find out because the scripture says all who live, who will live godly lives in Christ will suffer persecution. So prepare yourself. Prepare your children. Pray for strength you will need ahead if you find yourself in a complex and difficult situation and there's no rescue by angelic forces. Don't wait for it to surprise you. That's the tragedy. When you find yourself in the situation and then you you instead weasel your way out of the persecution, unwilling to suffer for the name to the point where we cannot confess our loyalty to Jesus Christ. I think the time is coming in our country where we'll have to say whether we're pro-Jesus or not, and that there will be consequences for the pro-Jesus people. And I'm concerned that we'll have justifying words like, I was afraid, I, I didn't know what to do, I, I had to protect my family, I, I was unsure, I, 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 I doubted, I, I, I figured God would understand. But in the end, I denied him. First Peter one four, first Peter chapter four, verse 15, I mean, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer or a busybody. In other people's matters, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner, in this manner. Be ready, be willing to stand under persecution. Do not fold if it seems like heaven is silent. Testimony number two. That hardship sometimes can awaken a slumbering soul. Someone coasting along in life and, and when difficulty arises, they realize 
there's nothing to grab, nothing deep within them to grab a hold of. They realize there, there's a void in the depth of their heart. They feel disconnected from the grace and the goodness of God, unsure about their salvation. They're in turmoil. They're, they're grasping for solid ground, and they look to God to find that there is a fountain of life to replace their dry and meaningless existence. <laughs> You'll hear phrases from people that have walked through this like, this event opened my eyes. This, this broken relationship it woke me up. I, I realized, I, I then realized, those are key words, it forced me to look inside. Sometimes a good marriage, a great career, or a predictable season in life can lull into sleep. And then those things ripped apart. We realize I've not been fully dependent on God. And I need to be. And now I am. And wow, I can't believe the strength I'm finding in the midst of everything I thought was normal. Everything I thought I could trust or I could depend on is gone. God, so this, this will be how those testimonies go sometimes. God was, he was always a part, but now he's become my everything, the Lord Jesus. That's testimony where others end in tragedy. No rescue. Tragedy number two. Walking away from God. It's where our plight leaves us angry. Our plight, our pain fills us with gloom and grief. And in our bitterness, we turn away from God. We blame him because all the angelic forces of heaven, all of his ability to whisper the worlds, the universe into existence, and here's my situation, and here's how important it is to me, God, and I cried out to you, or I looked to you, or I asked some Christians to pray for me, and nothing happened. Filled with bitterness, we turn away from God instead of towards him. Blaming God for having the power, but not doing anything. Complaining and mumbling in disgust towards God. Stuck in the pain of a catastrophe. Behind an invisible but real set of bars. Feeling banished. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... This message was getting a little long, so I deleted a couple, couple pages of notes in the end. So, and now I realize I have a few more minutes. I could have, I could have, but I deleted it, didn't I, Asher? You were there. <laughs> I said, <laughs> "It's plenty long, plenty long." Everybody glad it's over? Say amen. Oh, that hurts. But one last scripture here from Daniel, and then I'll walk through Revelation from Daniel figure out how to tie it all in together. No, I'm just kidding. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. But if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. He's probably going to send some angels down here. And we're going to walk out of here scot-free. But... I love the wisdom of this statement, but even if by some reason it doesn't fit into his plan to just 
display his glory and his wonder in this way, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Uh, we know he sent the angels. They, were dan- they got to dance in the fire. It's one of the hot, hottest dance nights in history mankind recorded. So they burned up the floor. You stand with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for time and time again rescuing humanity. And that you've done the final, the final rescue, the rescue of all rescues when you sent your son Jesus to this earth. I pray, Lord, that your presence would be real every day of the calendar year for us each week, that there would be optimism and hope that that goes so far beyond the shallow kind of hallmark Christmas idea in America. But there's a God who loves us and cares about us and has a plan for our life. And that we can't figure you out, Lord. Forgive us when we try to put you in a little box, when we kind of look to heaven and and our desires for you to get us out easy for you to move your finger for us and the danger of that lord is then you're working for us instead of us working for you so forgive us help us to walk in trust and strength may your word and your presence be upon us in a way that we can walk with confidence reflecting your goodness each place that you take us your cars home today, watching a ball game, maybe having lunch together with friends, wherever you go, wherever we go, Lord, may your presence be real. May we walk in goodness, thankfulness for what you've done in Jesus name and all the church said, amen. Lord bless you. I know it's five minutes early. May that be a greatest Christmas present a pastor ever gave you and uh, smile, be kind to one another. Walk in the goodness of the Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.